0: Hey, Kate. Yeah? Do we give legal advice on this podcast?
1: Oh, gosh, no.
0: Hostile work environment. Exactly.
1: Hey, an appropriate workplace topic.
0: Hostile work environment. Shut
1: up. I'm the human resources director, Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Oh.
0: Hello. Welcome to the hostile work environment. It is summertime. It is hot in Portland for the first day in ever. Uh, it is not nearly as humid as Minnesota, I would imagine. Uh, mm-hmm. Kate, how's the weather?
1: Well, today it's actually it's only eighty-three. So right now it's okay. The humidity is going to keep crawling up during the day, and I hate this weather. So as as a symbol of how much I dislike summer, I spent 16 days out of August last year near the Arctic Circle, uh, so getting away from the heat as far as I could, so I don't like summer. Don't
0: like Yeah, it. I, I hear you, and I moved to the West Coast to get away from that summer, <laughs> uh, and, yeah. you know, occasionally we have a summer kind of like what we've had here in Portland, where it's kind of overcast most of the time, and in the 60s or 70s, which... It's a bit rare here, but, you know, the afternoons, the clouds burn off, you get 75, no humidity and sunny.
1: Yeah, keep um, bragging, keep bragging.
0: I well, in that. March, when it's been raining <laughs> for 120 days straight, uh, then we'll we'll revisit that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so today, uh, we're going to kind of step away from our normal format again. We haven't really, <laughs> I think we've stepped away from our normal format more than we've actually done our normal format. Um, yep. But, I think we had two Supreme Court cases that really impact employment law. There were so many Supreme Court cases that came out last week, but two that were really employment law centric and we wouldn't be who we are and what we do <laughs> if we didn't talk about those. So yeah. today we are going to talk about the ministerial exception and contraception coverage cases that came out from the Supreme Court last week. and. I thought to frame this conversation that we would start somewhere else, Kay. somewhere that in the pre-Kate days, PK days <laughs> of the podcast, Dennis and I trod all over this particular ground uh, on several episodes, and that is the good old, fun-loving, <laughs> standard BFOQ. Yes, Kate. What is a BFOQ?
1: A bona fide occupational qualification is a rule that says only this particular type of protected class could do this particular type of job. So the easiest is if I was a let's a church and I needed to hire a priest, I would go hire a priest in the religion of which I am a church. So, right. as, so you don't have
0: to hire yeah. the Christian rabbi. No, no. <laughs> or the Jewish no. priest, right? Right, so, exactly. So, so Title Seven actually enshrines this right into the law, and it says, I'm quoting, and I'm picking it apart just to make it read better. It shall not be an unlawful employment practice for an employer to hire and employ employees on the basis of his, note the male language, which I mm-hmm. still always just, <laughs> on the basis of his religion, sex, or national origin, in those instances where religion, sex, or national origin is a bona fide occupational qualification uh, reasonably necessary to the normal operation of that particular business or enterprise. Right. So, notably, uh, this is Title Seven. the ADEA has a similar carve-out written into it. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, does not. However... Mm-hmm. The EEOC reasonably reads into it that a requirement uh, that one be qualified and able to perform a job is effectively
1: a another BFOQ way of like. saying
0: BFOQ so that you don't need to hire the one-armed forklift driver or the blind chauffeur, right, which are the... the okay.
1: I, I, I personally think a one-armed individual could run a forklift these days. Okay. Assuming, but okay.
0: assuming yeah. it's a device that require two arms to use. Sorry. Yes. That, that's just the one that you hear uh, a lot yeah, no. about. Right, like yeah. okay, or the one arm chain chainsaw uh, tree go. trimmer, I, you know whatever it is if you if you can't reasonably do the job, then you can discriminate on the basis of that disability.
1: Right, can you All imagine right. having somebody come over and trim your trees and they don't have one arm you going are you going to ask them what happened did you is this is this a work comp <laughs> claim? So, okay, so is sorry it, I digress.
0: is it work related? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm probably not going to say anything about it. I'm <laughs> just going to let wonder. them let them do their job or not, I guess. I <laughs> um, <laughs> if they show up with it, then they must have figured out a way. So yeah. uh and then it's not a reasonable BFOQ. Anyway, yeah. some other examples, right? The age realm, you know, mandatory retirement ages for bus drivers and airline pilots, for sex, you know, for advertising for men's clothes can be limited to male models. And then we talked about Religion, uh, So you can discriminate against adherents of other religions or religious beliefs when it comes to hiring clergy or religious instructors who are effectively going to be proselytizing or, you know, substantively doing something related to the religion, right? That's yes, not the janitor. It,
1: right. We call that keeping the faith. Yeah.
0: One thing further to note on BFOQs, race can never be a BFOQ. Yes. Okay. So... <laughs> I just wanted to make sure we talk. We mentioned that. So yeah, uh, we have now covered the area that for employment lawyers is very comfortable territory, right? So we've talked about Mm -hmm. our Title VII ADA, ADEA framework. You and I could talk about this all day and all night and be very comfortable uh, about it. But one thing that we don't get to do all that often is talk about constitutional law. (laughs) Uh, and the First Amendment and become constitutional lawyers. Uh, But this conversation is going to require us to do that. So uh, like we talked about, religion here is going to be more complicated. Um, uh, But I have a question for you before we step into our First Amendment ministerial Supreme Court cases. So, Kate, we're about to discuss a whole bunch of, of additional stuff here. And my question is, when it comes to religion, is the BFOQ framework enough?
1: I believe it is. And the reason I believe it is, is the what is a bona fide occupational qualification means that the job is doing that part of the religion. And so that parameter means that if I like, say I'm the janitor at the Catholic school, I don't teach the children' religion, I don't necessarily lead them in prayer. I clean the floors. I clean the floors, I spray down the desks, etc. So it's not required of me that I be of the faith of that particular Catholic school because my job doesn't require it to be so. But we don't have just the BFOQ framework. We have this ministerial exception, which yeah, comes let's... from The First Amendment, Amendment, which we're going to get into
0: here. right? But but I think, you know, and again, I think it's useful for the two of us to put our own beliefs and biases out Mm -hmm. there. We both think that this is enough, right? That the BFOQ framework is what you need to to allow uh, religious organizations to hire the people uh, or discriminate in that way against people who are not of that religion in terms of hiring and uh, so that you have somebody who is reasonably related to that religion, proselytizing or, or mm-hmm. doing the religion, right? Like mm-hmm. that should be enough. And it bugs me. And we've talked about this before on the podcast too, like Christian universities or colleges uh, often will say for every job position that they post that you have to be a believer in Jesus Christ in order to work here. Well, I have a problem with that. It doesn't fit the BFOQ <laughs> framework. And, and I'm not sure it actually fits the ministerial exception framework uh, either except we're going to talk about how how it may now kind of go there but so so i just thought it would be good for us to set our own like we're already like mm-mm, when mm-hmm. it comes to all of this so mm-hmm. i just wanted to put that out there um so let's talk about the constitution all right mm-hmm. so there's two clauses in the constitution that read together effectively create what we know all know and love as freedom of religion, right? And Mm -hmm. the relevant language comes from the First Amendment to the Constitution, and it says, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Pretty simple words. You and I would read them one way, but you could conceivably read them in a way with potentially huge ramifications, right? right? And on its face, the language prevents Congress from acting in any way that could conceivably prevent an individual or entity from exercising their religious beliefs. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. there's going to be limits, right? So especially when it comes to depriving someone else of their rights, right? So, for example, at least until now, still, still this is the law of the land, exercise of your religious rights doesn't allow you to murder someone. Right. Okay, so that's clearly on a, another side of some line that the, 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 the free exercise clause, not, clause is not going to permit you to say, I am ex-religion, you are not, die, I right? and, yes. and I kill you. So, so we're talking about something that still has the ability to be limited in some ways, right? And so mm-hmm. the question that comes up now is how much that free exercise clause permits religious institutions to curtail other uh, laws or rights, and for whom? Mm -hmm. So that brings us to the big questions that we're going to be talking about today and as to how the uh, Establishment Clause now impacts religious institutions in terms of employment. And in particular, does the Establishment Clause permit religious institutions to discriminate against uh, employees in ways that are otherwise forbidden under Title VII and other related laws? Uh, Spoiler alert, yes. (laughs) Uh, So there's two primary...
1: which, in this particular case, Title VII is not at issue with either of these plaintiffs. No. The first not. one is age, um, and the second employee, who passes away in the, the ascension of this case, she has died because of breast cancer. This is right. so, an ADA case.
0: Right. And so... so- The two primary cases that we're talking about here um, uh, established what's now known as this ministerial exception. And the first is called Hosanna Tabor Evangelical Lutheran Church and School v. Mm -hmm. EEOC. That was from 2012. And then this week, the court decided Our Lady of Guadalupe School uh, v. Morrissey Baru, which was decided last week. So Kate's going to take us through these decisions and the reasoning uh, and most assuredly with her own uh, personal takes. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to start off the discussion with this excerpt from Hosanna Tabor, uh, which was decided unanimously by the court. And we both want to uh, note here that we've got a 9-0 and a 7-2 decision, uh, both of which we are on the 0 and 2 <laughs> side. So recognizing that this is one where, where we, on our personal beliefs and our personal reading of how the law should be looked at, Uh, do not agree with these decisions, and and it's important for us to note that. Um, But I do think that it is helpful to start out with the basic foundation that the court's working with here uh, from the Hosanna-Tabor case, which was authored by Chief Justice Roberts, who wrote this simple but meaningful sentence. The Establishment Clause prevents the government from appointing ministers, and the Free Exercise Clause prevents it from interfering with the freedom of religious groups to select their own hmm. So we're talking here about selection of employees who may or may not have something to do with the religious aspects of the job, which Justice Roberts has now said, you can't really get in the way of how they do their religioning. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Kate, given that, what did the court find in Hosanna Tabor eight years ago? And then what the heck did they do now in Our Lady of Guadalupe? And. Uh, I, I want all of your snark and I want all of your <laughs> opinions, uh, and, and, and I'm setting it up this way because we, uh, we were talking before we went live on this, um, it, 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 one downside of finding a co-host who agrees with me on everything is that, uh, we don't have a lot to fight about, which makes for good radio. So, uh, we're just gonna, we're just gonna say what we want to say, uh, Go for it, Kate. What 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 happened here? What's going on?
1: So in Hosanna Tabor, we have a kindergarten and fourth grade teacher whose title actually included the word minister. And she led prayer. She taught prayer. She started every day, similar to the two plaintiffs in the Our Lady of Guadalupe case. Every day we start with a Hail Mary or, or a Lord's Prayer. We you know, so lots of religion was involved in her job duty. She even uh, kind of served as what I think some people in a church would call a deacon, where she might be leading particular discussions in churches, et cetera. And in that particular case, we get language about how religious institutions get to decide, their own matters without government intrusion. And this is the matters of faith and doctrine. Okay. So that's, that's the language that comes from Osanna Tabor. Well, now we get to these two cases, Guadalupe um, and what's the name of the other church, but yeah. So these two cases involving Kristen Beale and.
0: So, so these are two cases combined, combined. together. Yes,
1: Yeah. Yes. So in this case, we get two teachers. One is a, older woman teaching fifth and sixth grade i believe she's in a grade school at least and she doesn't get her contract renewed and the reason they tell her she's not her contract is not getting renewed is because she can't she hasn't kept up with the curriculum not the religious curriculum just regular the curriculum she hasn't kept up with it she alleges age discrimination that they didn't renew her contract so they could hire someone younger that is her argument kristen beale uh, she was working as kind of like a long-term sub doing virtually the same work. She's told she can't come back to work. Her, she, her, she has poor classroom management. Like her classroom is always large or loud and that's why she's not getting renewed for her contract. She alleged that she requested leave to take breast cancer treatment and they denied that and then that's why they didn't renew her contract. So the facts of the cases seem to be pretty similar. So the court then has to decide based upon what was in Hosanna Taylor is does the ministerial exemption what is a minister? Because if they if this person is a minister, then these employment discrimination laws don't apply to them.
0: Right. And let's be clear. If we're in the ADA land, these aren't good (laughs) cases for the employer.
1: No, these n-
0: right, no. and they're not even really hiding the reason why they're making these decisions. It's a yeah. discriminatory. It's on a discriminatory basis. basis. They're just saying we're allowed to discriminate. Well, I don't.
1: I don't necessarily think they got the merits of the. Of okay,
0: the case. maybe not. Maybe not. So
1: I'm I'm not sure that these cases are necessarily slam dunks, but I will say fair. This is early on in in the case enough to say we think these are ministers. We don't ever have to get to the question of whether or not we them for law for unlawful reasons because the law doesn't apply to us because these folks are ministers. So we, they go through the whole analysis of uh, the first woman, I want to say her name is Olga, but I might be wrong, but the, the woman who is older and they find she is a minister because again, Hail Marys, uh, Lord's Prayers, lots of religious stuff even in the grades that she's teaching. They do the same analysis for Ms. Beal. Uh, Lots of religion. She's leading prayer, et cetera. She is also a minister. Therefore, because, and Justice Alito breaks one of the rules that we as lawyers learn early on in law school is he keeps using words like clearly. There's enough evidence. There's an abundance amount of evidence, which we're never supposed to talk about clearly and abundant, whatever. But he writes these. So it's abundantly clear that these people are ministers, so the law doesn't apply to them. We, You can just ignore the law here on out. The dissent doesn't get there. The dissent says, we don't agree that these folks are ministers. We thought we laid out a pretty good test in Hosanna Taylor. We're not sure that these people are going to be ministers. The overall takeaway from this case is if you work for a religious institution and you touch the basis of religion in any of your work, you lead a prayer, you talk about prayer, you keep the faith, you're living the faith goals, any of that is part of your job, you are now going to be considered a minister and you're not going to be protected under Title Seven, the ADA, the ADA, all of those are gone. Your protections are gone.
0: So effectively, if you have, I don't know, a, a janitor lead a prayer circle, on a weekly basis, you could argue now that that is a minister. And so therefore you can discriminate in terms of hiring or Mm -hmm. based on other protect, otherwise protected classes against that individual, um, which effectively undoes discrimination laws in the religion, religious institution context.
1: Absolutely. Now, I think the court could have done something better. I think the court could have still upheld a ministerial exception and say that you don't get to avail yourself or you don't get the protections of the anti-discrimination laws if the reason you're being let go is because you're not keeping the faith. You're not following religious doctrine. They could have done that. And so for these two women, because one had a noisy classroom and one wasn't keeping up on the reading levels. Well, those aren't, that isn't keeping the faith. That isn't spending the doctrine. That has nothing to do with the religion. These are non-religious reasons they were let go. And had they been religious reasons, then of course, I don't want the government saying who you can and cannot have as your your minister or your rabbi, whoever, your mom, I don't care. When they're ministering the faith, that is a problem. You get to choose who you who does that. However... If you're saying, I don't like their socks and that's why I let them go, you don't get to be protected. I, I think you shouldn't be protected by anti-discrimination laws because you are letting them go for a non-religious reason. There's my soapbox on that.
0: Uh, I agree completely. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. We're not going to have Mark and Kate debate. Uh, I agree completely, you know, and it's, I I, I guess I have a question. I I think you've read the case a little more closely than I have. Is, did the court leave an out? I mean, did the court, you know, basically say, is there room for an exception to the exception in that, you know, we have the sham minister exception Would something like that work? I mean, I know uh, Justice Thomas wrote a concurrence that said, you know, we should just be working on, you know, a good faith basis here that if if the religious institution says someone's a minister, then we should just effectively agree that they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the standard that was set by the opinion here. It's a little higher than that.
1: Just but, a smidge, though, not much higher than that.
0: Did they leave an out? Is there a, is there room for an argument to say that if if Joe in maintenance, sorry, I keep, I'm picking on the maintenance mm-hmm. people at the moment. You know, if Joe in maintenance, who has nothing to do with religion other than Oh, we, we wrote in the job description that he's going to sit uh, in, a, in the chapel somewhere and read something that people can come to or not come to, but we're going to call it a prayer circle. It's, I mean, I look at that and I'm like, sham, mm-hmm. sham minister should not be count. I mean, is there any out for that or is it really that expansive?
1: Well, Justice Sotomayor in her dissent believes this really is that expansive and that they should have kept to the Hosanna Taylor love or. Tabor,
0: Tabor, yeah
1: yeah Tabor rule where it's kind of more like a checklist as, as opposed to this balancing piece but the balancing here which no attorney loves the balancing it requires a lot more facts it requires a lot more analysis and super more
0: subjective right you could always leads, argue at both sides
1: yeah at least more to more jury trials etc because you have to have fact finders for those but this is more of a balancing a lowering the standard from Hosanna Tabor and that's where Justice Sotomayor comes in. I think there is a little light, but in the gears of litigation, in order to see the light and get that light to shine on your case, that's a lot of hard work for a plaintiff's attorney to get there. And I just don't see the practicalities of getting to that decision anytime soon.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I think that this, you know, again, I I always think that the parade of horribles and slippery slope kinds of arguments are terrible arguments for lawyers to make. I I do think that there is some room to be fearful of that in this case. um, And that this effectively guts, if not eliminates uh, employment protections for people who work in any religious facility, really for any reason at all. And I think that that and I, I do think, I want to be very clear here, I think that there are a lot of religious institutions that would never do anything mm-hmm. like this, and don't consider that to be something foundational or, or related to their religion. And I know that, for example, my synagogue would find this abhorrent, right? Mm-hmm. They would, you know, it still, you know, it doesn't, you know, the laws don't apply to them, apparently, mm-hmm. but they, you know, they. I just happen to know the clergy, and and. And the, the leadership there, they would, they would find this to be absolutely outrageous that, that, that they would be given the permission to do this uh, <laughs> yes, or act well, in this way.
1: Well, imagine you're a principal at a Catholic school, okay? You get to now, because your teachers are leading prayer and they're now going to be considered ministers, if their job duties are all like the women involved in this case, then I get to harass them. I get to sexually harass them repeatedly and they have no recourse other than within the church now i'm was raised catholic very religious i went to john paul in denver in 93 i you know i've been to the vatican multiple times etc but i don't you know my church has had a huge problem with you know hurting boys abusing sexually abusing boys and kids throughout the land right so we can say that it's going to be criminal for a priest to sexually ha- abuse a child, but they get to harass all the employees. That's going to be A-OK, because those employees are likely to fall under this ministerial exception. I, I find that gross, and I, I don't see why the commentary isn't coming to my opinion a little bit, but I find it, it gross and unfortunate. I hope, I hope like when we talk about this next case, that the religious institutions look at this case and don't say, ooh, goody, we get to do bad things. Instead, they say we have to keep the faith and live our morals and what, our teachings so that we don't do these things. That would be yeah, my uh,
0: Yeah, I, 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 I share that. And, I, you know, what, what was a little shocking to me here was that this, you know, unlike a BFOQ, like there's nothing here that says it can't apply to race. There's nothing mm-hmm. here that says, you know, uh, you can't, Harass somebody on the basis of uh, just generally, or on on a protected basis, or or in any way, and mm-hmm. I have to wonder if if there will be further litigation on those grounds uh, in an attempt to roll this back a little bit. Uh, certainly, I hope that that litigation comes out at some point. But um mm-hmm. uh, the the opinion just feels and reads to me as expansive as it does to you, and I I'm deeply concerned about that.
1: Well, and, and this is judge-made law. So the Supreme Court is going, to, because it's the First Amendment, they're the last word on this. It's not like Congress can take up easy action to overcome this decision, but that's what it no, is. No, you'd have
0: to, like, amend the First Amendment <laughs> or amend the Constitution somehow, yes. right? Is, this, this, is, this is the very, very top of the legal pyramid here <laughs> uh, in a bunch of different ways, and so the effects of this could be far-reaching. The only way to scale it back then, given that it's judge-made, judge-made is to have judges scale it back. Yep, uh, which isn't exactly easy to do. No. So So we've talked about how far this can go. I guess I'd close this this portion of our conversation with um, what what advice would you give to someone who currently works for a religious institution or is considering working for a religious institution in any sort of role that could theoretically be deemed instructional uh, or now, you know, ministerial, ministerial. in some way, uh, because it, it, it either by its very nature or forced by the interpretation of the court could conceivably be ministerial. What would your advice be to them?
1: Well, first of all, I would say go look for another job. And I would say that because We never know when a disability is going to befall us or we're going to get sick and we're going to need protection. And if that is the case, and I might be in a ministerial role of some sort, now I don't have any protections for my job because I can be let go at any time for no reason without these kinds of protections. So I would caution people to be very careful about understanding where you're working, what they would do, um, but know that they don't have this, the rules don't apply to them. So, you know, be mindful. I love that when people go to a new job, they're always so hopeful and excited about, I'm going to be working with great people, blah, blah, blah. blah. But at some point there comes to be a dispute in some way, shape, or form. And without protections of the laws, then you're going to be on the losing end. So, be careful.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I would just add this comment. The laws are gone. That doesn't mean that, that religious institutions should act in the ways in which these Mm -hmm. religious institutions were allowed to act. It's, you know, it's hard to preach love and compassion and acceptance, which my understanding is most religions do that, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. most of the big ones do that. And then act in the way that these individuals and these or these institutions have acted if it was for the reasons that are being stated, right. you know if it was because of a disability, right that does that 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 does that does some pretty bad, you know, pretty significant damage to reputation. And if I'm in the religious space, you know, yes, this this reduces my legal risk at some level. It doesn't reduce other forms of risk, like public right. opinion. It doesn't, you know, and at a time when religious attendance is has dropped significantly over the last 50 years, there are reasons to think that it would be a bad idea for religious institutions to to act in this way
1: Mm -hmm.
0: blatantly and broadly simply because they can. So I think that there is at least some constraint on this by public opinion that there's only so much that people are going to allow before everybody's like, you know what, I'm going (laughs) to the church across the street because that one they don't like x people
1: true but you know the free market has really done great things for us uh,
0: oh yeah that, i mean i i know that's that's effectively the argument that i'm making there but uh, mm-hmm.
1: that's not I get to, it.
0: that's not it's not to put aside the fact that we both completely agree that this case is wrongly decided and that these laws should apply to religious institutions mm-hmm. for the most part uh with yeah. some with the exception that you stated uh, you know, and the BFOQ world is pretty close to that. So, yep. But, but there are reasons to think that it doesn't mean that we're just going to have a discrimination frenzy uh, <laughs> by every religious institution that's out there. Yeah. Moving on, there's another case. So, yes! so also last week, the Supreme Court decided another issue that is related to religion in the workplace it's not specifically about but it is related to it, it it is adjacent to when it decided little sisters of the poor saints peter and paul home versus pennsylvania that the little mm-hmm. little sisters <laughs> against the whole state it sounds pretty intimidating uh, and in fact the at all is other states too so yes, Queen uh, Iowa. so definitely a david goliath kind of uh, <laughs> headline here or title for the case In it, the court effectively held 7-2 that any employer can deny contraception or birth control coverage in health benefit plans under the Affordable Care Act. Uh, This follows on the Hobby Lobby case, which I thought, you know, which was 2014, which I thought basically said the same thing. Mm -hmm. So look, um, this case is like super technical and this is not a technical podcast. So this case deals with, just so you you have a background here, folks, like this case deals with the intersection of the... uh, ACA, so the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, RFRA, R F R A, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and the APA, the Administrative Procedures Act. These are not laws that employment lawyers do a lot with. So mm-hmm. we're not. We, uh, Kate and I am, are are not go- about to claim that we have a lot a deep background in this area. Although Kate's Kate's making a face like like don't sell me short, dude.
1: <laughs> well. The, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, that was, we expected some sort of decision on this in the Bostock case, because in the Bostock uh, case, yes,
0: yes, that's one
1: true. one of the plaintiffs um, had, was transgender, and the defendant in the original set of arguments said that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act protected them for, on religious grounds. That didn't get to the Supreme Court, at least the, court said that that wasn't a question before them. Now we have the question kind of before them, but only kind of in a
0: different context. Right. 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 And so, so in the end, the court is, is sifting through all of these laws and, and even just reading the summary, which is about all I could get through. uh, (laughs) It was, it was, it was very technical. So Kate, um, because I, I don't do technical things. That's a lie, people. I do technical things, but because I didn't want to read this technical case, and, and you are a super-duper technical, <laughs> by-the-book, every-single-I-is-dotted-and-T-is-crossed kind of lawyer, nope. uh, my, my expectation and hope here is that you will explain this to me in language I can understand.
1: Okay, I'll do my darndest, because, again, <laughs> this is the Administrative Procedures Act, which I got a not a great grade. I graduated magna cum laude, but my two worst classes were work comp and the administrative procedures act cases, administration law. So, so.
0: At least you took the class. I never took admin law. So. Oh,
1: ugh, I wouldn't recommend it. Okay. So <laughs> the we get a new administration. They promulgate this rule that you can say you don't have to provide contraceptive care for religious and here's the kicker or moral ground. Okay. So it's religious yes. or moral grounds. Morality is not protected by the First Amendment, FYI. Only religion is, but we're we're just going to go with that either way. Okay? At least according to this decision. How,
0: how, how do you really feel about a cake?
1: <laughs> <laughs> not my favorite. Okay. So we, we promulgate this rule and in hobby lobby Hobby Lobby is a closely held organization and so because they're closely held they the theory under Hobby Lobby was their closely heldness and the religion, their uh, good faith basis for their religion. That's what got them to say we don't have to pay for the contraception that you may get as an employee. This right. decision, and it was
0: mandated by the ACA, right? Right. Like it was you know so the Affordable Care Act said you have got to cover these, right? Right. And Hobby Lobby said at least you as an individual employer don't have to bear the cost for that. Now my understanding was and. Shake your head at me if you think I'm off here. Was that even if the employer said no, uh, there was something on the back end that they still had to go through a government agency, and ultimately people would still get the coverage because it was mandated by the law. But that Hobby Lobby didn't have to bear any expense or or touch it in any way that would get their 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 condoms all over their fingers.
1: <laughs> right. Okay.
0: they they're dirty little condoms over their fingers. Yeah.
1: Yes. Well, the little sisters. Ex- Expand this to, as the dissent says, the nth degree. So now I don't even have to allow you to get them, and you pay the cost. I don't even have to allow it to be in my uh, benefits package at all if I have religious or moral grounds. So this case dramatically expands the exceptions to providing health care based upon a bunch of different things. The fact that I'm a woman, maybe if I was a member of the LGBTQ community where I needed uh, a variety of medications or therapies for what I was going through or all of those things, all of that can be wiped out. Because if I think the same-sex religion or same-sex orientation is against my morals, I can now say, I'm not going to cover any medical care related to that. So this greatly fans it. So when I read this decision and I got angry. So I did I was happy with Supreme Court at one point this week where I made celebratory cookies. But for this one I got really angry. And what so I So you
0: ate the cookies.
1: No 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 it was, cookies were secondary. There's a separate day, a separate set of decisions. Um this one was now if you are a member if you're a woman or if you're a member of the LGBTQ community, when you're going through the hiring process you ask about healthcare now. You have to ask about what is in the healthcare plan in advance. Because if there's gonna be anything that you might need, um, so for example, I would need birth control. I might need, uh, to, even not just to control having babies, I might need it because I have endometriosis and so I get bar- lots of pain and I'm vomiting. And so if I have birth control, that all goes away. My employer can still say, no, I'm not providing that anymore. So it's going to be a bigger deal for employers to share that information up front, and every job seeker should be asking for this information. And I would really like it if men asked for it, too, so it wasn't such a stigma when women and LGBT community asked
0: for it. So. Completely, completely agree. I, you know, I wonder... Still, if there's is there some hope on this particular issue and maybe we, we we didn't feel so hopeful on <laughs> on the other issue. I'm wondering if if you know so some of what this case turned on was a new uh, executive order or new ish right So two years ago, uh, mm-hmm. Trump executive order basically saying, yeah, we're not going to do that part of the ACA uh, around birth control we're not going to enforce that and we're going to direct the agency not to enforce it and that, that is part of what the procedures act administrative procedures act component of this turned on so mm-hmm. if we end up in january with a biden administration uh and biden undoes the executive order and puts back in place what was there under the obama rules could this could this notwithstanding the uh, uh supreme court opinion could this flip back and and put the mandate back in place at some level
1: theoretically but then we're Flipping in the wind every time we get a different administration, and so well, that's... yeah,
0: but like, welcome <laughs> to labor law.
1: Well, okay, but that's labor law. There are oh wacky. well, they're just
0: labor law. That,
1: that's already goofy all all over. But no, I I think there is going to. I mean, I'm situations. not saying
0: I like that back and right. forth fluctuation, but you know, I'm still looking for what's the way to get there.
1: No, I think, and that's does right. does
0: the case keep us from getting there?
1: I don't think. I think it doesn't. The problem with making a rule. Is when Biden, if Biden, changes it and says it's now going to be all mandate required, we're going to have another big crop of litigation. And taking away a rule has its own particular procedures that it has to go through to be effective. So if Joe Biden is the president on January 20th, a new rule can't be effective until July. So there. Right. There are still all of these particular problems that will come up, and it's not a clear cut. It's going to require some sort of legislation. If anything, what could solve both of these cases was some sort of constitutional amendment that defined, better defined, what the separation of church and state was. But that, I mean, that is such a dramatic and heavy lift that I don't see that happening anytime soon.
0: Yeah, no, it'll take a while, uh, if at all. Well, kind of a bummer, (laughs) but the sun's shining, and some of us like summer, Um, (laughs) so there's that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not going to read a story today, don't have many, uh, haven't gotten any since the last episode. Can you send us your stories, please, uh, to hwepodcast at gmail.com? I also have a little bit of an unusual ask. Um, So... A couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, uh, we came out with episode six and episode seven. uh, Sorry, episode seven and episode eight of the podcast on the same day. Right. So we Mm -hmm. we released an episode, episode seven, called Mark and Kate are not pregnant. Uh, And then that same day, the Supreme Court went and decided um, Bostock and we potted that day and we got the episode out that afternoon. So we released two episodes the same day and that poor episode seven about Mark and Kate not being (laughs) pregnant has 300 fewer listens than the Bostock one. And, and even has, has almost 250 less than our most recent episode on NASCAR. So it's not just that it's, no, it's less than like, you know, I expect that that Bostock one's going to be one of our more listened to episodes, Mm -hmm. but uh, somehow Episode seven got lost in the shuffle and I feel bad for it. So, uh, I would, I would say to our listeners, you know, don't forget about poor episode seven, go back and listen. It was a good episode. I'm sure we talked about pregnancy in some regard because that's in the title. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, and, and that's a broader push, you know, we've got a nice back catalog of episodes. So if you're just finding us and I get, I do get emails and I appreciate all the emails on LinkedIn uh, requests from people who have just found us and are, are uh, enjoying the podcast, please go back. We've got a long uh, uh, Mm pre-Kate backlog of episodes, backlog. I don't know. Back catalog. Mm -hmm. -catalog. There you go. Catalog. That came out out wrong. Uh, And we're already working our way up towards 15 episodes together. If you can believe that. So um mm-hmm. highly uh recommend going back and listening to episode seven which got screwed by yeah. bostock mm-hmm. i mean I'll, I'll take that trade-off but i we don't <laughs> have to accept the trade-off well no you know well so. and
1: and with the supreme court's term being over we can head back to our regular format for the next week's episode absent any significant changes on things like I mean, not just significant, but, like, really bad employer stuff on COVID or racism, plenty of things that we're dealing with, so.
0: Yeah, and and we do have a good number of listener messages uh, asking questions about various things, Uh, and we do encourage you to, you know, write in, ask us, or engage with us on social media, Um, but if you send an email to hwepodcast at gmail.com with your questions, I take every email that we get, and I log it. Uh, and I keep a little file of, of all the questions so that someday we'll just do a, uh, Mark Peppers, Kate with questions episode. Um, that'd be and, fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think it would be, and, and kind of <laughs> answer the things that, that are on all of your minds. So send us your comments, send us your concerns. I had an eighth grade teacher said comments, concerns, questions, and, or discussion items. Um, <laughs> uh so any and all of those things are fair game and we want to interact with you more uh and i i think some ways covid has has kind of tamped down on some of the everybody interacting with each other even in the podcast world uh so yeah send us your stuff send us your questions send us your stories you know where most people laugh is when you send stories but we don't make <laughs> up the stories you send us the stories we can't do the stories without you so send us your stories um And, uh, you know, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, Kate, how can people find you?
1: You can find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter, K-8-B-I-S-T-H. I Uh, I love the Twitter. So you can find me there or on my website at ThriveLawConsulting.com. How about you? Where can we find you?
0: I'm at SaladPants on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, My website still sucks, so I'm not going to tell you that. (laughs) um, Okay. uh, So don't go to my website. Uh, or, uh, if you want to, you can find it on your own and then laugh at me and send me a note about how bad it is. Um, and it doesn't, it's not mobilized for phone and it used to be mobilized for, you know, a web browser and now it's not, now it's not, now it just looks dumb. So I'm mm-hmm. something happens. So, uh, one of these days, weeks, years, I'll go fix that. But, um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at saladpants and, um, uh, or, or trolled constantly mm-hmm. by court. Mm-hmm. Um. So, mm-hmm. uh, those are ways to to find me. Either find me directly, or just follow Ruta Vega, Ruta Scort, and if that account exists solely to troll me, so
1: solely. So, well, have a good week, everybody. I hope everyone is staying safe and washing your hands and wearing masks. Yes,
0: yeah, stay safe. We didn't even mention COVID on this episode. Just mm-hmm. a kind of breath of fresh air no pun intended but <laughs> bad pun <laughs> uh, wow well, it was unintended uh anyway okay all right Bye, friends everybody. we'll be back in a couple of weeks